0: I'd like to use the time this evening to speak about some views of practice, some models of practice, we could say. And looking at three views, which we could call uh, the endless view, the immediate view, and the ultimate view. These are not scholastic terms, I just made them up. (laughs) The endless view. Probably, to a certain extent, to a greater or lesser extent, in coming here on retreat, we had some goals in mind some intention, some aspiration, some hope. By nearing the end of the retreat, it might now seem like a forlorn hope. (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) Some sense of what we needed to examine, or work on, or transform, get rid of, possibly and our practice if we come with that idea therefore unfolds in that way and there certainly is uh, to, in some way of speaking a journey to be made and that journey could be called or is often called in spiritual or religious context the journey from blindness to seeing or from Bondage to freedom. From samsara to nirvana. From confusion to awakening, etc. So we have some ideal. Maybe the ideal received from books or teachings. The ideal of a particular historical figure. Like the Buddha or Christ or a teacher that we've had some connection with or read the biography of or something it may be our own inner kind of touchstone of what seems possible in human life and we have the sense of that ideal that we hold up and the wish, the sincere wish to look at life deeply to explore to understand in such a way that we can somehow make that journey from where we find ourselves now to that which we might call enlightenment, freedom, etc. I wonder what uh, you'd say if I was to ask you how far you think you are along that journey how would we measure? how would we measure? when we ask that question suddenly the view seems a bit faulty am I further now along than I was when I got here? if so how far? and how much further is there? and how many retreats will that take? there's something problematic in that idea of improvement progress it has a certain validity which I certainly don't wish to deny as I say there is a journey to be made but we need to really closely examine the nature of that journey otherwise we could end up trapped in the endless view what I'm calling the endless view we have the idea and it's an idea sometimes uh, reinforced or purported by a kind of flaky sort of new age uh, scene that's grown up not always but sometimes that there's this kind of we can heal our life We can um, transform uh, wounds, if you like. And so we can enter into spiritual practice with the idea that when I've dealt with my neuroses and when I've trained my mind and when I've freed my heart and when I've unlocked my trauma and when I've transformed my negativity, then those are the stepping stones on the journey and at the end, bingo. But... <laughs> I wonder if we've ever met anyone who's perfected like that. We said, well, I did some meditation and uh, trained my mind. I did some therapy, transformed my neurosis. Then I did some rebirthing And did something else. And I did some of uh, this special thing and something else. And now, that's it. Perfect. Completely happy. Totally peaceful. I really feel fairly enlightened. And if we did meet someone who claimed that, wouldn't we be a bit suspicious? So, we should certainly be wary, and it's maybe worth asking ourselves, honestly, do we in some way have the view that a path of practice progresses in some kind of linear way? And that I'm sort of ticking off stepping stones by dealing with this and dealing with that? As a, just to say again I don't wish to deny the validity of a sense of a path of practice but we should be as clear as possible that if our sense of a path of practice is to do with some kind of linear progression better, better, better and then best at the end of it then we should be wary Because that movement towards getting better, getting better, getting better is an endless movement. It's endless because there's an inherent flaw in the plan. That flaw is that this self that we're trying to better and better and better is basically unfixable. trying to transform that which is fundamentally other than how we conceive it to be I have a sense that this is who I am and I want to be a better human being I want to be a more spiritual human being a more compassionate human being I want to be an enlightened human being Maybe just to remember the the Buddha's words that I quoted the other day. From supreme and unexcelled enlightenment I gained absolutely nothing. Rather, puts a downer on our aspirations. (laughs) The aspirations of the self to get so when we start to look at this way, we start to realise maybe we we need another view and it's important I think really to be honest to actually reflect on this question and ask oneself what is my view of a path of practice and again and again in fact throughout our lives throughout our practice to see have we fallen into the trap of believing it to be something linear? Have we fallen into the trap of believing that it's me that's going to get free? That it's me that's going to be enlightened? Enlightenment includes everything without making the kind of rather petty and coarse distinctions between me and you and this and that so we need another way of looking a way that's not bound to the sense of me and progress in time towards something in the future because the future always remains the future when I get there when I've done more meditation when I've had a good night's sleep we remain bound in time and time stays further away in fact we have a special cosmic reminder of that tonight because when I've had a good night's sleep the clocks will have gone forward so need our sense of being bound in time you see the kind of arbitrary nature of it the managers ask me to remind you that the clocks go forward tonight so the bell ringers have the pleasure of uh, <laughs> so we call it 6.30 or 5.30 or whenever 6 o'clock when we ring the bell but one hour will have disappeared in the middle where does it go? so can we find another view another sense of how to practice that isn't bound in time that isn't bound in attainment and that isn't bound up with self because if our practice is one of self attaining in time then it's going to be long, long, and in fact endless, path of practice. That's why I call it endless view. So, to look at the immediate view, I'd like to look at a, a, a situation from... The history of Zen, and it's probably in it's definitely in China. It's probably I think it's from the sixth century, about. But I could be anything up to two or three centuries out, probably with that. So not to take too literally. But the the, the story is from the time of the fifth Zen patriarch in China, who was dying. He was a great master, the head of. Zen, or Chan as it was then called in, in China, And when he, he knew he was dying, he invited all the monks in the monastery to write a poem expressing their understanding. And the poem that best encapsulated the spirit of Zen practice, then that person would uh, take on his role when he died. So... The abbot of the monastery presented his poem and rendered into English it it goes like this This body is a Bodhi tree The mind a mirror bright And hour by hour we polish it That no dust will alight This body is a Bodhi tree The Bodhi tree is the the tree under which the Buddha was enlightened in Bodhgaya. So it's a symbol for that where understanding happens, that in which enlightenment flourishes. This body is a Bodhi tree, the mind a mirror bright, and hour by hour we polish it that no dust will alight. So Just like to go slowly with the, the poem and explore some of the meaning therein. This body is a bodhi tree. The abbot's pointing to this body not as something rigidly defined in the context of self, but as a bodhi tree, as the place of understanding, as where to look in terms of practice the Buddha Buddha said this whole world is present in this very mind and body that which we can observe in the whole of life we can observe right here we don't need to go peering under rocks and into microscopes to understand the nature of life it's all happening right here The fundamental principles that underpin the universe are unfolding in this very body. Change. Moment by moment. Cells doing their thing, shifts of temperature and sensation and vibration in just the way that we've been practicing to be in touch with over these days not interested in ideas about the body not interested in anatomy and physiology but in actually making that connection in the service of understanding in the service of seeing change not because it's a Buddhist idea of impermanence but because if we're really able to have a deep experiential sense of the flow, the movement, the endless transience of life, we'll stop trying to grab hold of it and treat it as if it was solid. And so it's an extraordinary gift in terms of practice, Actually, just just the sense of presence in the body. But this is our laboratory. This body is a Bodhi tree. This body is the place of understanding. The place to look for understanding. The mind, a mirror bright. And we've we've spoken about this uh, quite a lot over the last few days. The mirror like quality in our practice to reflect what's happening. Power to turn our attention towards what's happening and find our life reflected there. Hour by hour, we polish it. Awareness is that which polishes the mind. so we look at our lives in the calm in the quietitude of meditation we look at the mirror-like nature of mind and we see what's reflected there momentary contraction of fear when something unpleasant happens the tingling or reaching out when a desire in the mind we start to notice the way against the kind of immense silence that's underpinning life these little things are firing off desires, anxieties ideas confusion joy worry, anxiety appreciation love Confusion again Blink, blink, blink Just appearing Against the mirror-like nature of mind And that when we get caught in those things When we believe them to be substantial When we believe them to be who we are Then they get a grip And it's a painful grip And they spin us a web of Deceit, really so the abbot says in his poem hour by hour we polish the mirror like nature of mind that no dust may alight And polishing being our practice of vigilance of attending again and again moment by moment to the extraordinary event the extraordinary events of consciousness of that which unfolds in consciousness and of our capacity in being present to that to stop the dust of contraction of belief of those deceits from alighting on the mirror so it's a, it's a beautiful view in many ways of a way to practice we're not postponing the possibility for peace, for ease, for well being, for an expansive, joyful way of being. To some point in the future when we've gotten rid of our stuff or dealt with our issues, the Abbot's bringing the responsibility and the opportunity. For a dust free way of being, into the immediate. That's why I say immediate view. This body is the Bodhi tree, the place where we can practice. The mind, a mirror, bright. A mirror, right here in mind. That which a mirror reflects exactly what's in front of it it reflects what is it's an extraordinary gift to really see that to see that we don't need to go here and there and here and there looking for answers this body is the Bodhi tree this mind a mirror bright and then the abbot says hour by hour we polish it that no dust may alight it's a beautiful image of if we recognize the sacredness if you like of the, the privilege of finding ourselves miraculously we didn't ask to be born we at least have no memory of asking but out of the blue we find ourselves here with a body and mind we see that it would be rather a shame and an arrogant shame at that to go through life in the self-contraction of taking this body and mind for granted and trying to get as much as we can for it and we start to realise this body is a Bodhi tree the mind, a mirror bright What the, the sense of privilege, of gratitude to find ourselves here with body and mind with all the tools we need to meet life with the maximum of potential for a human being and In that understanding, with that appreciation naturally there's a passion to look as deeply as we can into that mirror to attend to life as well as we're able hour by hour we polish it that no dust may alight recognising the fact that the difficulties the confusion the and trouble confu- and pain that we experience in life is not due to life being unfair to us it's not due to life conspiring against us but it's due to because of our lack of understanding because of our carelessness because of our blindness the dust of life is just blowing around gets stuck on the mirror of mind because of not being attended to and therefore not being understood the dust of some unwanted experience comes along and because we don't see the process clearly some unpleasant experience happens and we go, oh no, I don't want that we draw all kind of conclusions we react in all kind of tight ways in the way that we've explored and spoken about in the days here, in the ways that we've seen ourselves in our practice. And therefore, the dust of life, which is just blowing around, according to its nature, gets stuck and causes us discomfort, agitation, pain. And when we see that, when we see that we we have the opportunity we could even say we have the responsibility for our own well-being. We have the responsibility for how we meet life. Then deep and passionate wish to polish the mirror. to to remain as reflective and transparent as possible to life so that our relationship to it is clear like a mirror clearly reflective so that we see things as they are rather than through the dusty veil of our reactivity of our agitation This body is a Bodhi tree The mind a mirror bright And hour by hour we polish it That no dust will alight So when the other monks saw this poem They all said, oh Sadhu sadhu. So Buddhists say it means well said, well said. Sadhu. Fantastic. Nobody else even bothered to write a poem. Because they were so touched by the Abbot's poem, they said, Well, the abbot really deserves to take over when the patriarch dies and we'll follow him because he obviously wise and deep understanding of practice. But <laughs> then the kitchen boy came out and asked if he could deliver a poem. And uh, we were saying the other day about the kitchen being significant in, in the Zen tradition. The kitchen boy was called Hui Neng. And everyone said, Well, what does he know? Send him back to the kitchen. But The patriarch asked to hear his poem and he said Since there is no Bodhi tree nor mind of mirror bright since all is void and empty where could the dust alight? (laughs) Ultimate view. Since all the since there is no Bodhi tree, nor mind of mirror bright, since all is void and empty, where could the dust alight? Poor old abbot Since there is no Bodhi tree. a beautiful view of practice immediate view rather than postponing delaying and giving ourselves endless excuses for our impoverished condition and the rather futile hope that eventually we'll get there maybe not this lifetime maybe not the next lifetime but in a few more rather than settling for that very, very long view of practice, the immediate view, the abbot's view, says this is the opportunity. This is the possibility. Here, body, mind. And a willingness to really passionately and deeply, fervently, sincerely engage with meeting our life nakedly. Here and now. Looking at what it is that seems to stand between us and freedom and being willing to polish the mirror being willing to address life in the immediacy of the here and the now with the understanding that this is the only place we can really make a difference future is utterly unknowable so let's not hang our well-being out there. It's an immediate view. It's a beautiful view of practice. It's a view of practice that has great potency and that we can get benefit immeasurably from being willing to meet our life in the immediacy of the here and now. To see this body as the place of understanding. To see this mind as that which reflects all of life but there's a lot of polishing required in there hour by hour in order to maintain um, a clarity, a balance a well-being and then Huey Neng comes in and rather undercuts all of that Again, not to deny in any way the validity and the beauty of that sense of practice. But what what's being pointed to there? What's being intimated? And when we look at, in terms of ultimate view, we have to be careful. We have to be careful because language can be misleading language is fine for the endless view language does endless very very well language is okay for the immediate view but language in itself is bound up with duality with here and there with this and that me and you before and after and Huey Nang is pulling the rug out from duality and is pointing to that where language can't really go is intimating of that where thought can't travel he says since there is no Bodhi tree what does that mean? Dare we imagine, dare we contemplate that maybe there is no Bodhi tree, nor mind of mirror bright, that all is void and empty? So, where could the dust alight? We have a lot of investment in body body as who I am my age, my gender my history my health my looks my slowly wearing out going grey, getting wrinkly etc. But apart from that, which is just in the realms of language, in the realms of description in the realms of self-view What is the body aside from our description of it? When we sit in meditation, as we sit here right now, not giving too much attention to the common sense view, can we really feel as we sit here where our body ends and the space around it begins? Mind will tell us. Familiarity will make a suggestion. Common sense will come up with the obvious. But what does our deepest experience tell us? We can know sensation, we can know movement and vibration we can know heat and pressure and temperature and we can know these things here in what we call inner and we can know them here also here in what we call outer but what is there that gives such a rigid definition to a sense of self as body apart from words and descriptions since there, I- there is no body tree it's the Sui Ning where does one thing end and another begin where does body end and the food we ate this evening begin First, they were two separate things, and now they're one thing. Where did the food go? It's just become part of the body, in which case the body's fundamentally different now than it was before, because it's now mixed with vegetable soup and toast. How can we define body without including absolutely everything else in the universe? We can't stop at vegetable soup and toast, because everything if we, if we look at vegetable soup and toast, we have the same complexity, the same paradox. Vegetable soap is in inse- vegetable soap. Vegetable soup is inseparable from the mud on the vegetables, from the sun that shone on them. And if we've already gone out as far as the sun and we're only two steps away body, vegetable soup, sunshine we have a sense of extraordinary vastness an incomprehensible vastness incomprehensible means don't try to understand it with the mind <laughs> Mind starts to stutter, mind begins to stall. Let it. It can't go there. Since there is no Bodhi tree, nor mind of mirror bright, what about our mind? We easily come to the conclusion that that's our kind of inmost dwelling place. Sometimes the body seems to be I, who I am, but other times we objectify the body, we say my body. Was I, now it's my. Was who I am, now it's what I've got. Very peculiar, but there we are. But the mind, we have a sense of indwelling, that all the martinness that I feel I have is there. Huey Nang won't settle for that. No mind of mirror bright. What can we find of our mind apart from the thought about it? Apart from the thought about it. Don't accept thought. <coughs> thought is a product of the mind. Thought arises and is recognised, it's reflected in that mirror like nature. Okay? But aside from the thought, what clue is there of some inherent Martin mind over here? Or whoever <coughs> you are, mind over there? we don't accept the common sense version who am I after the thought I am has faded away there's something bright here there's something animating all of this there's something that's able to cognise to receive to meet to, to connect to have a sense of to know emphatically that there's life we can't deny it there's life in every pore in every cell in every mind moment there's life clearly Here it is. But beyond that, can we be so bold as to claim mind as something fixed and solid? Not denying the vibrancy, the connection, the sense of participation that is life. But apart from the thought about it, however hard we look, and I fully would encourage you to look very hard, we can't find a mind. There is no Bodhi tree, no mind of mirror bright. All is void and empty. Where on earth could the dust alight? The idea of emptiness is extremely central to the Buddha's teachings and Yet is often un- misunderstood. It's misunderstood because that which is trying to understand it is poor old mind. Emptiness is prior to mind. Therefore, mind can't grasp it. It's a very beautiful line from the Bhagavad Gita, which I mentioned, I mentioned the Bhagavad Gita the other night. So it says Brahman, Brahman means the ultimate. Can, we could easily substitute the word emptiness it says Brahman is not comprehended by the mind Brahman is that by which the mind comprehends emptiness cannot be understood by the mind emptiness is that which By which mind comprehends. Emptiness is that which gives rise to mind. Emptiness is that which makes mind possible. So what is meant in teachings on emptiness is not the rather um, convenient, sometimes academic definition that therefore that implies uh, nothingness or um kind of vacuum sort of groggy kind of devoid of qualities and yet we have to be hesitant in trying to speak about mindfulness uh, about mindfulness about emptiness Because any description we give it, any idea we give it, tends to fill it up, which is a contradiction in terms. So, it's hard for us to be interested in emptiness, because all the interest comes from the mind. how do we understand Huy Ning? If we're convinced, regardless of our beliefs or intellectual ideas, if viscerally we persist in the idea that this body and this mind is in some way who I am, then there's a place to look. To really, I'm not, we don't have to take Huey Ning's word for it. Huey Ning says, body, pa, mind, pa, all is void and empty. But it would be a shame to just take on his poem, because it sounds profound. Here's body, here's mind, let's look. Look for the body. As something inherent, as a something. Look for the mind as a something. If you really look, what you'll find to your lasting benefit and to a radical turning on its head of our mind is emptiness. Emptiness at the heart of mind, emptiness at the heart of body, emptiness at the heart of life, emptiness at the heart of everything. Emptiness meaning that which is prior to, that which is unconditioned by, that which is unformed from, that which is untroubled by the dust of life and things that mind for some strange reason likes to make into problems issues obstacles etc. Since this body and mind is at best a half truth At best, a vague approximation of what's going on. At best, a kind of convenient idea of how we are in the world. And not at all the real truth of things. Since this body and mind isn't actually who we are, how can it have a problem? since all is void and empty all is wide open and free where can the dust alight? dare we imagine dare we look well enough to see that in the same way as body and mind is is a fundamentally flawed idea to that same extent problem and issue is a flawed idea to that same extent enduring in time and a sense of progress and attainment is a flawed idea and to that same extent the work of polishing and keeping is a flawed idea no body, no mind no dust and if we can be deeply interested in challenging our assumptions and please not trying to figure it out then there is the most profound possibility for us Of a life where no dust alights. May it be so for each one of us, for one another, and for all beings.